If you have a Bible, please turn with me to Psalm 87. And for those of you that are using the Black Pew Bibles, you can find Psalm 87 on page 463. One of the key terms in Psalm 87 is being born. And so as we prepare ourselves to receive and read this passage of scripture, I want you to think about where you or your parents were born. I was born in Johnson City, Tennessee. What about you? You don't need to tell me right now, but maybe you could, as audience participation, tell me how many of you were born outside of the United States, you or your parents, first or second generation immigrants to the United States? Anybody in the room? Okay, if any of you want to just kind of look around, there are maybe half of the people in the room, eh, roundabouts, not very specific number there, but a good portion of you. At one point, I went through the entire membership of Embassy through the last 10 years, and I realized that the members of embassy have comprised of easily two dozen or more nations in terms of their first or second generation background where they were born. Our church's name is embassy because we are not a place primarily for American-born citizens. A biblical church as we understand it, is a weekly worship gathering for citizens of heaven. Psalm 87 is a prophetic poem that explains why we have the name that we do. We are an embassy of heaven because, as Philippians 3 says, our citizenship is in heaven. We await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. If you're new to Embassy and you've ever wondered, why do you guys call yourself Embassy Church? There you go. And please turn with me your attention to Psalm 87, where I will hopefully explain this simple idea in this passage of Scripture. Follow along as I read. A psalm of the sons of Korah, a song. On the holy mount stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God, Selah. Among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon, Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. This one was born there, they say. And of Zion it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her. For the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord records as he registers the peoples, this one was born there. Selah. Singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, indeed, for his holy word. I would like to give you one sentence 
that I believe summarizes our passage for us to understand what it's saying, and then we will walk through this one sentence for our time together. Psalm 87 in a sentence, God loves the place where all peoples of the earth can receive the spring of his eternal presence. God loves the place, that'll be point one, where all the peoples of the earth, that'll be point two, can receive the spring of his eternal presence, that'll be point three. And I am just following the logic of the psalm from verses one and two, God loves the place, verses three to six, where all the peoples of the earth, and then finally verse seven, can receive the spring of his eternal presence. Let's walk through them together, starting with verses 1 and 2. God loves a certain place. On the holy mount stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Verses 1 and 2 teach us that God loves the gates of Zion because it's the place that he chose as the foundation of his holy presence. It's holy because he picked it, and it's holy because he's there. It's the place where he found it. And many people might start wondering, why? Why did he choose this mountain, Mount Zion, to be the place for his presence, for his temple, for his people? Was it, was it a big mountain? Answer, no. Go to Jerusalem today. Mount of Olives is taller than Mount Jerusalem, Mount Zion. Was it incredibly powerful, important, or beautiful? No, not necessarily, not exactly. Then why this place? It would be like saying out of all of the buildings in downtown Chicago, if God were to choose one of those places where his dwelling would be, it would be like him choosing Colbertson Hall at the Moody Bible Institute. Not the Willis Tower, not St. Regis, not the Aeon Center, Trump Tower, or the John Hancock, all of which shoot into the sky over a thousand feet high and roughly around a hundred stories. For those of you that don't know, Colbertson Hall is the boys' residence hall of the Moody Bible Institute, and as lovely as it is, it stands a solid 19 stories and smells like young men. This is what Mount Zion is like, historically speaking. Out of all of the dwelling places of Jacob, of all the land of Israel, he set his love on a particular mountain. And the gates phrase here is not to talk about the defense borders surrounding Mount Zion, but this is an ancient way of talking about the place where the people do business, the activity and the hustle bustle of the city. And he has chosen this place because... He loves this place. But why does he love this place? Why would he choose this one? Especially if it's not that prominent. And it reminds us of what God told us through Moses in Deuteronomy 7. It's the same reason he chose the people that he chose. It's not because of their greatness, their power, their beauty, their prestige. Deuteronomy 7 verse 6 says, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God, The Lord your God has chosen you to be a a people for his treasured possession out of all of the peoples on the face of the earth. 
And it was not because you were greater in number than all of the other people that he set his love on you and chose you. For in fact, you were the fewest of the peoples. One of the greatest lines in all of the Bible says, it is because the Lord loves you. He chose and loved these treasured people because he loves them? He loves them because he loved them? Is that what the Bible is saying? And the answer is an emphatic yes. He loves Zion because he loves Zion. Two applications as it relates to this first point. First, it is essential for all of you, regardless of who you are, to understand the love of God. God's love is not dependent upon your bigness, greatness, how much you've sinned, how little you've sinned. It is contrary to the conditions from which you came into this world and the conditions by which you live in this world. God's love is not just unconditional, it's contra-conditional. God loves the place of Zion because it's the place where he chose his presence. He loves you because he chose you, because he loves you. He loves any person, any place, or anything that is worthy of love and affection. And the only reason any person, place, or thing is worthy of affection is because he's there in it. So lesson number one is realize the God-centeredness of God's love. Why does he love Mount Zion? Because God's there. And God loves God. And God loves his name and his presence. And when that place is a place on the earth where it is especially like a hot spot, you guys got Wi-Fi problems, you get closer to the center of that hot spot, that's Mount Zion. It is a hot spot of God's holy presence, and therefore he loves that place more than any other place. Because what other place on earth would the God of the universe love? Lesson number two. God's place is called here the city of God. And I think it's important for us to realize that when the Bible talks about a place of God's presence, it is talking about God's heavenly power and his heavenly presence experienced on the earth. We had Quinn read for us just a moment ago the story of Abraham coming into this place, the land of Canaan. Notice the way the New Testament author Hebrews talks about that very passage. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he called to go out of a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And when he went out, and he did not know where he was going, by faith he went to, the land, to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. The place that God chose for his presence, the place that Abraham was marching toward, that God told him to go to, is the place that God has designed and built. It's a heavenly city. If you keep reading the next chapter in the book of Hebrews, it says, we believers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, and it is the heavenly Jerusalem, the place of the innumerable angels and the festal gathering and the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. I've got to think that Psalm 87 is behind 
Hebrews chapter 12. Mount Zion, the city of God, the place where the firstborn who are enrolled, as our text talks about the census that's being taken by God, they are the firstborn of those who have been made alive in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, the place that God loves is, I believe, like metaphorically speaking, an embassy of heaven, an outpost, a place here on the earth where God's special, powerful presence can be known and experienced and received, a heavenly home that exists in a land but is being surrounded by enemies, foreigners, strangers, aliens. That's why a good name for a church is an embassy of heaven, an outpost here on the earth, filled with sin, filled with death, chaos, and enemies of God. We can find in this actual room today, not because of the nature of the building, but because of the people that indwell it. This is a place, a heavenly place of God's presence. And just like our psalm says, cities are not primarily about buildings or gates or mountains. Cities are places that are filled with people. So, go back to our one-sentence summary. God loves a place, the place, where all the peoples of the earth can receive the spring of his eternal presence. Let's consider that second point. Why does he love this city? Because this city is going to be the place where all the peoples of the earth will receive the spring of his eternal presence. But before we think about the spring the outpouring presence of God flowing to all of the world, realize the power of this psalm is in the middle section that describes the people, the citizens. It's the part of the psalm that on first read you may think, eh, Psalm 87, not my favorite. Maybe after today it might start rising in the ranks of one of your favorite psalms. Short, sweet, potent. Look at verses 3 to 6. Glorious things are spoken of the city of God, Selah. What are the glorious things that are being spoken? Verses 4, 5, and 6 explain. Among those who know me, I mention, and this is not Rahab, the prostitute in Canaan. This is Rahab, which is a nickname for the land and the nation of Egypt. So just translate that into your mind. Among those who know me, among those who yada in Hebrew, which means personally and experientially believe and give their allegiance to me. Among those, I am mentioning Egyptians, Babylonians, Philistines, the people from Tyre and Cush. So if we do a little Bible reading and research, we will realize that not only does Genesis 10 explain that these are the descendants of Ham, for all of you that are going to Wednesday Bible study, download last week's Bible study, but these are the enemies of God throughout the story of the Bible. Among those who know me, among those who are the citizens in this city, are the enemies of God. Let me please modernize the point of this psalm. What if in the 1930s and 40s, someone was telling you that inside of Munich, Germany, hundreds, if not thousands of Jewish people from all over Europe were being born into Munich and being given the full privileges of citizenship under the Third Reich of the Nazi Germany. Would that seem startling? Would that seem crazy? That's what our psalm is essentially saying. 
Imagine someone saying that Palestinians who are part of the Hamas regime are becoming counted as accepted as citizens of Israel today. Would that seem odd to you, considering the climate that we are now dealing with right now? Or Algerian Sunni Muslims being born into a Shiite country like Iran and being counted as full citizens of Iran. Do you get the point? This is startling. This is amazing that this psalm is telling you that people who know Yahweh, the one true God, are from the nations that were the biggest enemies of the people of Israel. And of them, it is being said, they are being born there. Glorious things are being spoken, verse 3 says, about this city. What kind of glorious things? That the citizens of its city have new birth in the city of God, even those that hate God. In case you're wondering, does the New Testament ever directly refer to Psalm 87? I think one of the closest places, we've already mentioned Hebrews 12, is Galatians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. There's this contrast between Hagar and Sarah. And without getting into those details, I just want to mention that it says, the Jerusalem from above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, rejoice, O barren one, this is Isaiah 54, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear any children. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those who has a husband. The Bible gives such amazing descriptions about how the heavenly city of the Jerusalem from above is the place that mothers and gives birth to God's people. And even a place or a person that is known to be barren and has no children will become a place of loud rejoicing because it will be a place that brings forth so many children, so much more than anyone could ever count. So three M's as takeaways from point two. Three, three M's, the letter M. Our message, our mission, and our membership at Embassy should be driven by this second point. Our message, our message is that all nations of the earth can be born again through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the gospel message. It does not matter where you were born or what family that you were born into, citizenship in God's holy city transcends your earthly and biological citizenship. This is good news. Some of you have been born into bad families and you have been inherited all kinds of terrible lies and ungodly practices of worship that can change. There is hope in Jesus Christ that you can become a new citizen of a heavenly city. This reminds me of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, that we preach Christ crucified. That's our message. And we do so as we consider our calling and how many of us were not wise according to the worldly standards. Not many of us were powerful. And then not many of us were of noble birth. Well, what if I'm a nobody? What if my family has nothing? What if I'm poor and impoverished? God chose through the preaching of the cross to give the option for every human on the earth to be able to repent of their sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this foolishness of the cross would shame the wise of the world. And God decided that in his wisdom, even the things that are not would be able 
to bring to naught the things that are, so that no human being would ever boast in the presence of God. All of us come into this city humble beggars, thirsty for the streams of living water, desperate and weary. And if that's the state that you find yourself in, then you are fit for this city. It's that beautiful line in the hymn, Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. All the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. And this he gives you. This he gives you. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he humbles us and helps us see our need for a Savior. This is the message that all peoples of the earth, regardless of where you were born, have access to citizenship in God's heavenly kingdom. Our mission then, letter M number two, is that embassy, we should make disciples of all nations. Does that flow quite naturally out of not only the words of Jesus in Matthew 28, but just the implications of what we're talking about. If God's heavenly city is of every tribe, tongue, and nation all over the earth, and even those that you would think are the least likely to come and worship at the throne of the one true God of the Bible, the least likely to come up Mount Jerusalem and bow down to Yahweh, even those nations will be born and counted as citizens. This is God's plan, and therefore it is our mission God chose a place and elected a people for the purpose of saving all of the nations. Election is a very big, difficult concept to wrap your mind around, but make no mistake about it. God's choice of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 is for the nations, not at the exclusion of the nations. God's choice of choosing Embassy Church and blessing us is so that we would be a conduit of God's grace for the flowing out of his gospel to the ends of the earth. Not at the exclusion for us to be a holy huddle where we take the water of God's life-giving stream and then it sits like a stagnant, stale pool. It should come out of the gospel from heaven to us and be passed on. It is not an inclusive It is not an exclusive love. It is an inclusive love of every single tribe and nation on the face of the earth. And therefore, we should remember one of the greatest stories in the Bible about this point is that very often misunderstood story of Jonah. God's mission is to save enemy nations. Jonah 1, Jonah, go to Nineveh. What does Jonah do? I don't like them. They're enemies. They've probably killed his cousins, nephews, nieces. They've probably raped and pillaged and done all kinds of horrible things. This is what Nineveh was like. And they hated Israelites. And God said, but I want to save them. And Jonah said, no way. I'm going to get as far away from Nineveh as I can. And in case you're wondering if that's not the main point of the story, listen to these words from Jonah chapter 4. When God saw the repentance of the Ninevites, he turned away from And they turned away from the evil ways. God relented of his disaster. He saved them. And this exceedingly displeased Jonah. He was angry at God's saving Nineveh. And so he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is it not this the very reason why I left my country and made haste to flee to Tarshish? For I knew that you are a gracious God and you are merciful and you are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and you like to relent from disasters. So please, Lord, take my life, because it would be better for me to die than to live. That's the story of Jonah. It's not a fun kid's story, by the way. It's not about whales and fishes. 
It's really about an angry prophet who has ethnocentrism. He thinks that God's salvation is for him and his people. And when God tells this prophet to go take that message of salvation to the nations, he's like, "Uh uh-uh, I don't like them. I'm racist inside of my heart, and I would prefer to keep that to myself. That's the story of Jonah. It's a sad story. It's a story that should be like a mirror for you and me to say, do you really love all the peoples of the earth? Or do you only love your tribe? Therefore, I would encourage each and every one of us to look deep down into our hearts and ask if you do have any sin of ethnocentrism, of tribalism to repent of, pray daily, weekly, or regularly for the nations and those that maybe you like the least. Pray for those that are doing the worst things in this world, the greatest enemies that you could imagine, and pray especially for their salvation and not just their judgment. You can pray imprecatory psalms. I've talked about that in the past. But we should also be praying for God's mercy. What better way to demonstrate God's justice than to save those who are doing horrible acts and turn them to Christ? Young adults in the room, 18 to 25, if you're anywhere in that range, consider attending Cross Conference We're trying to encourage young people to think about the rest of their life for the sake of the nations. And before you get married and settle down and you get stuck in a certain place, not that that's a bad thing. We need those people too. But we also need young people to consider, I'm going to serve overseas for the sake of the nations. Embassy Church, we're going to start thinking about our 2024 budget. I think it's important for us to continue giving our finances to the spread of the gospel around the world. We need to be a church that receives the blessing of finances so we can give to those outside of our church and not just spend money on us. We want to be a conduit of God's grace. The message drives our mission and should define our third and finally our membership. Our membership should reflect heaven's membership. Our church covenant promise begins with a promise that we would maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Maintain, not create. Membership in the local church is maintaining the unity that God created through his gospel-saving work. Do you see the difference between those two? We don't create unity. We maintain the unity because the gospel message goes out through the mission of the church. And as you all come to the church, you hear, respond, receive, get baptized, and become members. And the basis of your membership should be the gospel. Your belief and faith in Jesus Christ That's the keys of Zion City to come in to the embassy church. The gospel. Our statement of faith is primarily the gospel. And we would want to encourage each of you who would like to pursue membership to realize that we want you to first and foremost understand, believe, and receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then everything else as it relates to what it means to be a member is to maintain this unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And let's not be too quick with our words to say that's an easy task easier said than done. How many people raised their hands and said that they're from another culture or nationality? It sometimes can get difficult to understand cultural differences in a mixed community like this. But the things that are difficult in the world's eyes are possible with the gospel of God. So all things, including having a multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church should very well be possible by the power of the Holy Spirit when we center ourselves around Jesus. I mean, think about it, guys. Why are you here? Is it because that we recruited you? 
Is it because of some sort of strategy that we had some segment of the population that when 10 years ago we wanted to start a church, we are going to say, we're going to target these people? No, we've never done that and we never will. We preach Christ and then you all love Jesus and then you come attracted like a fly to a light. Jesus, that's the church. That's Embassy Church when we're at our best. Let's pray that we maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace centered around the message of the gospel. Because God loves the place where all the peoples of the earth can receive the spring of his eternal presence. Look at verse 7 as this conclusion of the psalm and as we land the plane of this sermon. Singers and dancers alike will say, all my springs are in you. Singers and dancers. Pipe players, literally, is the word for dancers. Joyful, exuberant celebration and feasting are happening because the spring of eternal life is flowing out of Zion's city, rushing down the mountain of God and giving life to the rest of the world. There are two places in the whole Bible where the exact phrase city of God appears. Two. Whole Bible. One of them, Psalm 87. The other one, another son of Korah Psalm, Psalm 46, 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, and the kingdoms totter, and he utters his voice, and the earth will melt. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Isn't it fascinating that the two places where city of God appear are also two places where there's this picture of streams running through a city, bringing life because of the presence of God. This is the picture that Ezekiel gives us in Ezekiel 47, where a river comes not just from the city of Jerusalem, but straight out of the holy temple of God. It's as if the picture in Psalm 87, that's further clarified in Psalm 46, is zoomed in on even more in Ezekiel 47. Where's the river fountainhead? Where is the life gushing out of this river to give life to the rest of the world? The answer is God's near presence his holy temple. Just listen. Soak this in. Ezekiel 47 verse 1, then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and behold, there was water issuing from the temple. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not even be passed through. He led me to the back bank of the river, and as I went back, I saw on the river very many trees on one side and the other. And wherever the river went, every living creature that swarms was living and there was many fish, for this water goes there, and the waters of the sea became fresh. So everything would live wherever the river goes. And on the banks, on both sides of the river, were growing trees for food, and their leaves would never wither, and their fruit would never fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every single month, because the water that flows from them flows from the sanctuary of our God. Their fruit will be food, and their leaves will bring healing. For those of you that were paying attention when Etienne came up and read for us Revelation 22, all of this should come together now. The angel showed John a heavenly vision of the river of the water of life as bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. The place 
that God loves is the place where all the peoples of the earth can receive the eternal life-giving stream of God's presence. Revelation 22 finally zooms in one click further. It's not just a city. It's not just a mountain. It's not just a temple. It is the person of Jesus Christ, the Lamb, the Son of God. The Lamb. From the middle of that city street on either side was a river and the tree of life with 12 kinds of fruit yielding fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation and no longer will there be anything that is accursed but from the throne of God and from that lamb that will be in it, servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Do you see the point of Revelation 22? We can be born again into the heavenly city because there is a river flowing from the side of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ came to his own, John 1 says, they knew him not. When he came to the city of Jerusalem, they rejected him so much so that the body that which was his temple, the place of God's holy presence was crucified on this very mountain of Zion. Jesus hung on the cross and he screamed and he prayed the Psalms, including Psalm 31, when he said, I thirst. You can drink from the water of eternal life that comes flowing out of his pierced side, gushing to show the Ezekiel vision of the holy new temple of Mount Zion because he thirsted in your place. He became the dry and weary land where there is no water. And as he swallowed up death and sin on the cross, he then became the very source and fountainhead for all of us to have eternal life. Glorious things were spoken on Mount Zion, not from a prophet or a priest, but from the word of God that became flesh. He died in the city of God. Jesus Christ's death on the cross as the word made flesh spoke the most glorious word that has ever been spoken. Life eternal is in him. Would you turn from your sin and put your faith in the one that was risen from the dead and ascended into heaven so that from heaven the keys of Zion city are now given to us, the church, and that we can come streaming into this holy city of heavenly Jerusalem here even at Embassy Church in Palatine, Illinois. How can you become a citizen of heaven? Be born again. Be born again from heaven. As Jesus told Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water of life and the spirit of God, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Would you bow in prayer with me? Our Heavenly Father, we are humbled we are humbled at the reality of your love that has been shown and displayed for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Your electing love, you have elected and chosen Jesus to be the place, the hot spot of your presence, the fountainhead of all life, the life that flows out from his body and transforms our lives. We pray that the receiving of your word would be happening right now the goodness of your word from Old to New Testament, your plan of salvation to bring much about your name to, 
to make much of your name for the sake of your glory among all the nations. We pray for the Holy Spirit of God to turn us to Jesus Christ, turn us away from ourselves, turn us away from our sins and our sorrows, and gaze upon that heavenly body that stands before the throne of God above as our intercessor, as our substitute, as our priest and prophet and king, and that we have privileges of citizenship because of our union with him by faith and faith alone. Lord, I pray that it would be very clear to each and every one of us here that our citizenship is based on the finished work of Jesus Christ alone. I pray that we would not fool ourselves or kid ourselves to think that we can earn our way into this heavenly kingdom. I pray, Lord, that you would make it clear that the only hope that we have is Jesus Christ. So I want to pray that even as we gather downstairs, as we eat a meal together, an international feast and we would realize that we are foretasting the heavenly city, feasting in the house of Zion. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.